Hiya, hello, hey, hi, welcome back. I'm glad you're here and I'm glad I'm here. I was actually thinking in the shower this morning, how do I spice up my hi, hey, hellos? Evidently, I haven't thought of one or a series of ones. So you're stuck with trying to smash them all together and hopefully that's something a bit more spicy. But uh, hopefully I find a, find a new one and think of a new one each episode going forward. But uh, for the moment, this is all I've got. It has been a bit of a big week. I spoke last episode about my pure burnout and where my headspace is at and my physical body is at, where I just overall am at. And in truth, it's not any easier. I spent you know pretty much the whole day in bed on Saturday, uh, weekend just passed. I didn't actually get out of bed until about 2, 2.30 in the afternoon and then pretty much went back to bed watching TV with some food. And that, while it feels, what's a good term? While it feels depletive or counterintuitive, it is definitely something that my body needs and something that I don't think we recognize enough when our body's tired it's tired for a reason. Our body is calling us to stop, to slow down. And, and sometimes that's because we haven't paced ourselves perhaps, or, or we've had circumstances or situations hit us harder than what maybe we thought or assumed or wanted to believe that they they hit us. And that's definitely been the case. I've, I've tried to keep a positive mindset and tried to, to keep going, but I, I don't think I've given myself in if I'm being honest and and real, I've given myself enough sort of breathing space. And and one thing that I keep trying to remember and trying to uh, imbue others with is the notion of you can't breathe out if you aren't breathing in. And I think that, you know, talks to so many parts of our lives, but particularly in our physical and mental and emotional states is we need to take time to breathe in. We need to breathe in others where otherwise we'll run out of breath and we won't be able to breathe out anymore and give to others and give to our commitments and and give to ourselves. So yeah, nothing's really changed, but I had the benefit of attending a conference, the National Suicide Prevention Conference uh, in Canberra, our nation's capital, uh, last week. And that was probably, yeah, so, uh, yeah, last week. And that was really wonderful. There was, in the opening plenary, there was uh, two really wonderful, actually three really wonderful speeches given, aside from both um, political parties in attendance and actually saying, like, we believe in this, which is in itself is, is really wonderful, but the um, acknowledgement of country, the acknowledgement of lived experience or, or address of country and addressing of lived experience, as well as uh, previous podcast guest Joe Williams, his keynote on and sort of opening on his experience, his lived experience, both being a, a Wiradjuri, proud Wiradjuri man, father, a sobriety success story perhaps uh, might be a good way of describing it ex-football player and, and you know writer and all sorts of things but how with his opening it was very much how what has been his saviorship is really bringing it right back down to himself and 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 caring for himself and actually seeing that he needs to value himself more and that was that was a good reminder and then and then the lived experience uh, acknowledgement was really wonderful. It was emotional. The, the, it was a poem and it was about seeing, hearing and, and walking with uh, fellow lived experience members. And, and that was really eye-opening and really, well, not eye-opening. It was just very impassioned and very emotional and something that hit home for a number of people, not just lived experience advocates and members, but also also those service providers and researchers that were there as well over the course of the conference. And then the opening uh, and welcome to country was really wonderful. It sort of described, it's always interesting hearing a different one each each conference or each sort of a, a official event because they are all slightly different. And 
it reminded me what a true honor it is, particularly as someone of immense privilege, both being, well, both, uh, let me list off the CV of my privilege, uh, but essentially being cishet white male who really benefits from the colonization of this country as well as the patriarchy of this country and, and our society that it actually is a pr- privilege to be on the lands of the uh, Indigenous people and to take a beat and and place stakeholdership or place emphasis in the welcome to the country that I'm on or that, that I'm visiting and to actually realise that they are welcoming me and, and my peers and, and my comrades, whoever are there with me, to that country and that they've opened their doors and and that it's a real sort of respectful moment. And, and it was, for me, those sort of three addresses were really wonderful and really sort of a great way to start the conference off by sort of being like, here we are. This is this is why we're here. I'm tired. <laughs> I fell asleep on the plane ride home, but it was also a nice sleep. Like the, it's only I think it's only a half hour flight from Sydney to Canberra, so it's it's a short little nap, but it was really good and it was really wonderful to reconnect with some colleagues across the sector and to see some familiar faces and and to really just I guess revel in what a wonderful or what wonderful leaders and and hard workers we have in this sector and and particularly a, a number of the things that were spoken about were projects that were worked on in covid and the lockdown and the absolute terror that that had been for us or has been for so many of us and continues to invoke havoc in our lives our our personal professional our mental, our physical, and our emotional lives um, and spiritual lives. So, yeah, that was really wonderful. Coming back from the conference, it was really wonderful to actually or really cool to sit down with a lived experience advocate and real champion, uh, Jordan Van Rasmullen from the Brisbane area, uh, as well as Wendy Hawkins, who is a director of strategy and and systemic sheepdog rounding up partners and service providers along uh, with working closely with the HHS, which is their he- uh, health and hospital services, similar to LHDs in in local health districts in other states and territories, and also closely with the PHN, the Primary Health Network of Brisbane South. Um, For this episode, uh, which is proudly sponsored, thank you, thank you, thank you, by BHP Foundation and their project uh, program with the University of Sydney's Brain and Mind Centre, Right Care, First Time Where You Live, which is all about just making our service, reforming our service system and our service providers to be more intuitive to young people and providing a digital decision support tool that is measurement-based, real-time and is evidence-based as well and trajects the next 10 years of what are specific to that that region, that local area, that community and, and all their diversity and all their barriers and challenges and success stories and, and feeds it all in and we, we talk about the mapping of it and what a hot mess it is uh, in the first workshop and how courageous I would say uh, the modelers are in taking on the synthesising and the understanding and, and comprehending of what those services really are and the pathways and the individuals that not only work in as providers but also those individuals that are help seeking and, and accessing those services yeah it was a real delight you can actually you you really hear the passion and the the investment not just from Jordan and Wendy themselves but the teams and the the peers that they work with and and vocalize alongside they found the first workshop which happened a, a couple of weeks ago with our 
Brenner Mind Center team, they found the work first workshop to be, be really eye-opening in how convoluted and how I won't say messed up because each into one, they said each, they noted that each individual one has their own sort of system and their own way of working. And, and in a siloed sense, that works for them when you're within that service or providing on behalf of that service. But in gestalt with everything else and, and in relationship with everything else, it really just doesn't work. And how difficult and hard it is for a young person to seek help within that that service map, that service jungle, not only just as a broad, very presumptuous young person grouping, but also when you go down to the specifics of cultural and linguistically diverse, community diverse. Jordan noted the different makeups of families and, and how something that isn't often talked about, she said, uh, siblings being a core part of, of that carer and supportive, uh, key supportive others and, and, and how even down, Wendy said, even down to teachers, which is something that I often overlook. And yet I had a couple of teachers throughout, particularly throughout the really harder ends of my high school years when my bullying experience was so rife and, and really tore me apart. Those teachers were pivotal in keeping me together and keeping those butcher's twine uh, tightly knotted uh, on this disheveled piece of meat that, that was me at the end of my, my high schooling years for a really weird and odd analogy and I won't use ever again. Yeah, it was a it was a really great conversation, and and I'm recording this introduction right after because I really wanted to hit home about this or to to vocalize this quote that I'm that I've sort of uh, wrote, written down that Jordan Jordan mentioned, and it was that this their their hopes for this program is in light of how the mental health system, to quote, how the mental health system in attempts to be supportive disrupts a young person's life. And I think I, at the very end of this episode, I, I said it again because I think it, I think it really speaks to where these services and these young people are coming to at this program and how they hope this program to reverse and to tr- totally flip the disruption that the mental health system causes for a young person and their life by trying to support them. They are trying multiple times, Jordan and Wendy both both note that, but for whatever reason, it can, it can and, and often does disrupt a young person's life. Jordan speaks to some of the success stories and, and particularly pre- her adult years or legally adult years of turning 18, so pre that, and, and, and wonderful or really positive experiences within the PHN services. But then post-turning 18, how it was almost completely the opposite. And, and Wendy noted that her sharing her story and her experience of that um, on the day of the workshop did bring home who they're trying to change the system for and who these services are trying to or aiming to work with in order to change, you know, the provision for. And and actually, Wendy noted uh, that a fellow colleague noted, noting of a note, that the the mapping and 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 the uh, of the services and the service access and the pathways and 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 all of that and the the nuances of of what these butchers paper, post-it notes, serial killer-like pin boards of the services, how it's all well and good to look at it on the table like this, but there is a, a major foundational party or member or, or community that is completely missing, and that's those who uh, are not help-seeking for whatever reason it could be their financial or their their living circumstance and it could be where they're at in their mental health and their ability to because it's set up that way to advocate for themselves for 
seeking within seeking help it could be where they're at in life overall or or who they have around them it could be that they disengage from the service because they had a really horrible experience or jordan noted because they have no understanding or no education on how the system or the services work and and where to go to and when to go to and i think that was really really a great thing to actually acknowledge and, and really wonderful to actually see that that is a, a foundational member and something that sits underneath all of that. And they they hope, they all hope to change that and to actually be more educational and be more supportive and be more encouraging of these disengaged, non-accessing young people in engaging in and how they can actually do that and how the individual services and the services of collective can get alongside them and, and provide something that actually is specific to them and their needs and their wants. So uh, without further ado, let's, let's jump in. Well, thank you both, Jordan and Wendy, for joining me. I am super excited about this project. I think each time I say how excited I am about it, mainly because I truly and honestly believe in the role that it can play and and the the real revolution it can have on communities and community access and and working together and then you know further young people and and how help se- that can change help seeking and i guess advocacy around it i'd love to ask you wendy about your role little bit about who you are and then I'll ask you what brought you to this project or why did Brisbane South sign up? Yeah. So um, Wendy Hawkins is my name and I work, um, have a very fancy title. It's um, called... Enchanté. Oh, uh, it's called Director of Strategy and Service Development. So I work with Metro South Addiction and Mental Health Services. We're the public addiction mental health service provider on the south side of Brisbane. And we work very closely with the Brisbane South Primary Health Network, who are actually the key partner in this uh, whole program. And yeah, so I, I like to describe my role as try to keep keep it simple in terms of I like to connect connecting people to the bigger picture and then sometimes I see my role as a little bit like a sheepdog it's like you know rounding people up and then helping move people forward together towards the the direction that we're going and by the big picture I mean you know the strategic plans that are that there are at a national level at a state level and at a regional level and certainly this initiative is is very much part, I guess, of, you know, the ongoing journey of reforming our system. That's something I'm passionate about, to be part of helping continue to reform our system so that there's less stigma, people can access services at the right place, the right time, yeah, you know. Wherever uh, they live. (laughs) Wherever they live, that's right. Yeah, I mean, like that, you know, like you were saying, you know, sort of like a cattle dog rounding up sheep, but then also how those sheep can play a picture, play a role in the bigger picture is so aligned with what this project is. And Jordan, tell me a bit about yourself. Yeah. Hi, Sam. Uh, so I uh, lived experience representative and I've been partnering with Brisbane South PHN since early 2018, uh, which was part of the recommissioning of their uh, mental health, suicide prevention, alcohol and other drug services in the region. And I just never stopped working with them, which I think is a testament to how, you know, compassionate and caring that original process was. Uh, at the time, I think I was probably the youngest person there. I actually turned 18 during a co-design process with them. Huge. Congratulations <laughs> for 18 in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, don't tell anyone my birthday one day. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh Yes. So I think, you know, youth mental health has been a really big priority for me for a long time. And it was really, really exciting when uh, the PHN approached and asked if I'd be interested in in supporting this project, because I think it's it's something that we we do miss out on sometimes. Uh, A lot of the youth mental health services in the region are, you know, funded through kind of a single model. Um, they, they can lack diversity or there's a little, there can be patchy things here and there. But unless you're a young person accessing those services, you're not going to see the full extent of how difficult it is to access them. 
One of the things I really like about this project is actually the partnerships that Brisbane South have been able to leverage in order to do it. One of the really exciting things actually about Wendy working with Metro South is that this kind of partnership between a hospital and health service and a PHN is is actually quite rare nationwide. So we have really good collaboration and networks there. And we got 70 people in a room for the first workshop, which apparently is, is completely It's huge, new. yeah. Yeah, and that came with its own kind of, oh, my God, there's so many people in the room, <laughs> <laughs> feelings. But it, I think it, it was really just amazing just feeling how excited everyone was. And then, you know, me for me personally, being in a room where everyone cares about this issue that I'm so passionate about, it was a really, really rewarding experience. That's so awesome. Can, can I ask a bit about, because it is, you know, somewhat nationally unheard of, the relationship between hospital and and young people and and the the connection or the partnership there can you either jordan wendy both elaborate a little on that yeah certainly look over the last i think it's about 4 years now since about 2019 it's funny with the whole 3 year covid thing you lose track of what happened when it's but, just a smudge <laughs> on the timeline isn't it <laughs> Um, but look, yeah, part of the fifth National Mental Health and Suicide Prevention Plan, there's um, a number of priorities in that plan. And the first priority is called Achieving Integrated Regional Planning and Service Delivery. And one of the deliverables of that, that the Commonwealth Department of Health requires, is that local primary health networks and their comparable hospital and health service, that's what we call them up here in Queensland, elsewhere they might call them local health area oh, something. LHDs, yeah, local, local health districts. Yeah, something yeah. Something like that. Um, anyway, there's a requirement that we actually work together to create a joint regional plan for our whole of region and obviously, um, but also enable um, integrated service delivery between, if you like, the primary care sector, if you like, the secondary sector, like the private sector, but also our end of the spectrum, if you like. And so the, the means to that end, it doesn't, of course, just happen. It happens through partners. And I guess one of the things that has happened in our partnership is, first of all, we've had, I always say we've got the right people in the right positions at the right time. For example, our senior leaders, the executive director of our addiction and mental health service has been, has prioritised this partnership. Uh, and um, certainly over the last three years, you know, we've built up a whole range of not just connections, but real joint commitment. And that's borne fruit. And this program, Right Care, uh, you know, Right Time, is one of those in that the recognition that because we've got that strong partnership, now my understanding is the Union of Sydney Brain and Mind Centre, the primary partner in this program is with the PHN, but we're certainly like strong secondary partners, including another hospital and health service called Children's Health Queensland. And a bit later on, we can talk about the complexity of our region in that we've actually got, and we'll talk about that a bit later. And so we, we've prioritised that partnership. Again, it's not an end in itself. It's a means to an end, but it's it's a no-brainer. You've got to work together. You need to communicate. You need to prioritise it. You know, we need to create connections. And so we've we've been able to do that, again, with commitment from, from both organisations. So that's, if you like, a bit of a system perspective. And certainly, I don't know, Jordan, when you want to talk about uh, part of that um, whole process is over the last, oh, is it 18 months, Jordan, we've been evolving, and I use that word carefully, evolving a lived experience advisory group that's part of that whole process. And I, I might hand over to Jordan perhaps to, if that's okay, to talk about that or, um, and anything else in that sphere. Yeah, um, I can talk a little bit about that. So we, we've got this amazing partnership relationship with Metro South and Brisbane South and uh, with lived experience kind of as a, a conduit between the two of them. So we've been meeting regularly in order to um, support the joint regional planning process. I guess uh, in terms of the Right Care First Time Where You Live project, the importance of having the hospital and health service involved is, is really pivotal because it's one of the real sticking points, particularly in our region, but I think um, broadly as well, is that hospital services and, and public mental health services are run by a different entity than your community mental health services. And this is particularly important in Brisbane where the paediatric mental health services and the adult mental health services are run by two completely different hospital and health services. 
So one of the common difficulties when you turn 18 as a young person is, you know, if you've got a severe and complex mental health condition and you want to seek public services through the hospital and health service, I mean, the difficulty of of youth mental health generally is that you're looking at uh, disease progression that isn't as long as other adult cohorts, you know, particularly for the um, in substance abuse, you're dealing with kind of less of those um, social determinants of mental health because the young person is still young. Uh, it just hasn't really reached a point yet where that kind of, you know, major holistic intervention is is prioritised. So the difficulty of, of being a young person then is, is you're kind of competing with uh, a cohort of people who have different needs, different experiences. So it can be hard for your mental health, I guess, to be a priority for the service. And then your alternative, if you don't want to go with the um, hospital and health service, uh, public mental health system, is you can go through the community youth services. So the benefit of that is they are specifically designed for young people, but the difficulty of that is that the risk threshold is very, very different. So it's very difficult for young people who are too complex for the community mental health system, but not quite severe enough for the public mental health system to really know where to go. And that's why a lot of people end up in uh, the private system, particularly in like their early 20s. But the downside of that is that a lot of young people are financially and transport disadvantaged. So it's not really an ideal fit. A lot of young people have to make some pretty significant sacrifices in order to uh, receive mental health care. I personally know a number of people who use their um, youth allowance or disability pensions to pay for private health insurance so that they can get uh, hospital care when they need it. So when we're talking about partnerships, like that's why it's so important is we can look at that gap then and go, okay, so how do we meet people halfway? What's something that we kind of come up with together that's going to be appropriate? And the benefit of a kind of a forecasting tool, like the data tool that that we're developing through this project, is that it helps us give actual insights into what's going to be most effective and when it's going to be most effective and be the custodian of that. Yeah, and I think a core part of the program, which, you know, my listeners would be sort of familiar with and, and you guys now, you know, working on the program and, and working with, with BMC and BHP on this is the the concept which has been around for forever, uh, no wrong door policy. But it's it's actually taking that that next step further. And, you know, right care, whether that's public, private, um, first time, like the first point of access, whether that be at a hospital, whether that be at a, uh, you know, CAMS, at Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services, or whether it even be a GP, like making sure those, Wendy, you've used and, and, and Jordan as well, partnerships, but it, it really is those relationships. It takes it that step further. Yeah. I, th- I think it, it's not only the, the, if you like, the partnerships and the relationships, but also what are the enablers of offering that integrated care? You know, like our systems that do or don't talk to each other, you know, our, you know, our di- digital systems, you know, and there can certainly be barriers, but in, you know, and look, we're on that journey and I know in Queensland as part of the public uh, addiction and mental health system, you know, we, for example, late last year, there was a statewide um, strategy around digital healthcare and that's, you know, all about information, how we share information, how we use information to you know, map need and be responsive to need and in both on an individual level but also a more regional level. And so I guess there's, yeah, I'm always, uh, I sort of think sometimes, I don't think people understand at times that partnerships aren't simple. On one level they should be but on another level they're not. And so it's something that takes time, effort and energy, consistency, you know, it, it's it and hard work and sustainability so that, you know how I said earlier, it's about, and sorry, I'm talking very system level stuff here. Um, no, 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 it's great to actually have <laughs> the system level and also the personal level, like it's like the, the two meet. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, and one of the challenges, of course, is how do you make partnerships sustainable? Because in one essence, yes, it relies on having the right people in the right positions at the right time with that sense of 
passion and that bigger picture, not just focusing in on what do we deliver within the bounds of our service, but recognising that we're part of a broader health system, we're part of a broader system, like as Jordan referred to, well, you know, how do we make sure people connected, you know, that they have stable and secure housing, that they have stable and secure income, that they're connected to community and culture, you know, that they've got something to look forward to. And again, particularly for young people when they're at that developmental stage of gauging, you know, what their strengths and abilities and dreams and passions are. And, and you know, that's such a, an important part of, you know, time in life to have the right supports in place, a connected system, connected system. Yeah. I used to sit on a couple of years ago, I needed to, to leave to pursue other things or to, to open up my capacity and my, my tank, my energy tank. I used to sit on one of the advisory boards at the PHN for uh, Western Melbourne, despite living in Sydney. Um, it was a good thing. I joined it as a commissioner. And so I had the, the national scope and things like that. And Melbourne is sort of one of my loves. But it was very much about our job in the advisory was about bringing those real stories and those real sort of barriers that each individual sort of service or area of service like your LHDs or what was the term uh, Queensland uses? Hospital and health services. Hospital and health services. HHS. HHS. That's right. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) And how we could mitigate or lubricate those relationships, right? Like because, because like you said, they're... Each each uh, system has their own priorities that are necessary to meet that meet their KPIs. They've got their own budget limits or, or excess in budgets. Like it it is fraught with all of these different levels of red tape, and it's about how can we tape off another area in order to open up this area for this. Excess. Yeah, I think one of the challenges I've got to keep remembering we're talking about young people is, you know, we, we, you know, in recent, somewhat relatively recent history, you know, we talk about person centered care. And I sort of try to challenge people, what do we actually mean by that? You know, and really it's literally, I've seen this um, lovely, um, in fact, it's in our, our, I think it's in our foundational plan with the PHN. Um, it's got this lovely system of, um, you know, circles. And in the middle, of course, is the person. Is the individual, and, yeah. And, and it's helping recognise that, yep, that's their, their, that's them and their, their hopes, their dreams, their, their needs. And Jordan, jump in at any time if I'm... <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then it's recognising that our system, in a sense, is on the outer circle. We're not on the inner circle. It's people's family, their carers, their friends, their community, their GP, their community networks and as the circle goes out broader the mental health system or addiction mental health system is actually on the outer and I think sometimes we need to gently remind particularly clinicians of that that we're not the center of the person's life we're actually out here but we need to make sure we're equipping and enabling firstly the young person in in their journey of of evolving you know life and and all that that means but also their their families and carers and support networks and how do we how do we connect how do we enable how do we support you know and i guess you know the 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 right care right time you know is is part of that and in fact it was interesting and and i gather you'll lead us into talking about this more but when we had our first workshop and and part of that was uh, we you know we um split up into groups and again we had representatives from across you know non-government organizations phn children's health queensland our child and youth mental health service um, and we had a significant cohort of um of young people with lived experience uh and and we mapped well you know how do people how do young people and their families access support and honestly when we at the end when we looked at it it was chaotic you know there were things here there and everywhere and and that was actually a a good I suppose a reality check to say how on earth do people access care when it's so complicated um and and I think that in itself to to actually do you know go through that activity a to help the right care the brain and mind center people to understand our region but and our modelers with their magic (laughs) yeah 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 but I suspect it's not a lot different to the rest of Australia you know our it really isn't (laughs) that's that's one thing that I've seen across board and and not just within 
the work that we're doing part of this BHP project with that BMC is doing. But CSAT, who is one of the partners and does the modeling, I've seen over the years of their modeling of systems, it is just as messy. Like it is like the thing one and thing two has opened up that box from Cat in the Hat. It, it, it is just think of the most, it, I mean, poignantly, it will come, like quite topically, it's like Karl Lagerfeld's desk. It is just paperwork. It's some sort of system that is no system at all. One thing doesn't talk to the other, but one person or two people know where something is and it's just ready to have the desk collapse underneath it all, right? Like I think like you were saying before about person-centered and and individual-focused, I think our services are far too inward-looking but not inward-looking exactly. They're inward on the system. They're not inward on the individual and it's that recalibration, reshifting. I mean, our health system, as much as it cops flack, it is actually quite well planned out um, the more you or the when you look at it. It is there's the individual at the center and then there's the micro and macro, which is, you know, and, and the, the top half I think is private and the, the bottom half is public. And so on paper it works really well. It is about those sort of what is that young person or that individual, in this case the young person, what is their first protocol, who are their carers, who is their support team, and then uh, the only other circle that is a service that sort of follows both private and public is the GP because they're they're built to be the case manager. They're designed to be the case manager and to to be the the relationships person that, you know, they get the bloods, they get the x-rays, they walk you through it, they help educate you on, you know, whatever you might be facing physical or mental health wise. But it just doesn't work because our systems are so interior and and focused on uh not the individual and and what best care looks like jordan i'd love to ask you personally and and also you know obviously from an advocacy point of view for young people what does person-centered or individual-centered or tailored or intuitive care whichever sort of label you want to put on it for someone like yourself who has been accessing pre 18 and also post 18 that like you were saying that really difficult change and and I, I personally experienced it as well I was in an uh, institution during that change and and you become legally you become the owner of everything and you're you're calling the shots and you may not be well in mind to be calling those shots for lack of a better term I for some reason I'm thinking of wheels saying mind and body um but what what does it actually look like for you for to be receiving care that means it's addressing your needs and your wants? Yeah, I, look, I'll be honest. The reason I went into advocacy is because I never really had an experience like that. You know, in through, across all my years of accessing mental health care in both pediatric and adult services, but I I definitely did have times where I was able to make I was given some control over what some elements of my care would look like because they were able to assess that I was at a developmental stage where I was able to make some decisions around that. Um, I remember particularly some decisions around uh, like who I was able to nominate as my emergency contact. So I moved out of home when I was 17 and I didn't want my parents to be my emergency contact anymore. And the psychiatrist who was my case manager at the time said, well, you're, you're living independently, you're working full time. I don't see why you wouldn't be able to make a call like that. I was again in a, in an institution as well, so he could have he could have given reasons as to why. I could yeah, yeah, there's loopholes <laughs> that they. But he didn't. You know, he, he he respected that. Um, you know, while I was here with my mental health, I was still at different places with um my development. So, you know, small small examples like that are, are really helpful. I think when we're talking about person centered care for young people, I, I think the biggest yeah. mistake we fall into with this cohort is treating them as if they're homogenous, but as a group is enormously diverse, enormously. And, you know, when we're talking about how the mental health addiction and suicide prevention system sits around that, 
we're actually leaving out the fact that most young people have multiple institutional pillars, I guess, in their life. Most importantly, being most commonly, I guess, being the educational system, but also, you know, the foster care system, early employment, that type of thing, various other family services. If you're looking at that older youth cohort, they're not often engaged with GPs. There's a lot of reasons for that, which would be a whole other podcast. <laughs> uh, you know, so they, they struggle to engage with primary care. And then for the younger cohort, you're actually looking at really different approaches to involving a family and the level of involvement that a young person wants varies significantly. It varies across their age bracket, but it also varies across their um, personal experiences and relationships with their family. You know, talking about like even what that family looks like, we often treat parents and carers as, uh, I guess, the primary partners in, in care, but siblings are an incredibly important part of it. And they're often experiencing their own side effects of, of responding to that primary young person's journey. So, you know, some of the things I think we, we need to really consider when we're looking at, at how we're going to improve this system is just remembering that, you know, each individual is incredibly unique and we need to be able to cater appropriately for all of those unique needs across the evolution of those needs as they get older. Um, and we need to be able to do it in a way that's safe and appropriate so that young people want to continue accessing the service. We do see a lot of drop off of young people who attempt to seek mental health care, particularly, you know, once they turn 18, but they struggle with the system. They're not too sure where to go or how to get their needs met or how to express it. A lot of those uh, basic life skills that a lot of people want to take for granted may not have been developed yet. And that's particularly true for young people who've been in institutions for a long time. We've had a lot of, you know, mental health really, it, it throws a lot of things off track. So things like attending appointments, putting things in your calendar, calling up reception, making phone calls, all of these things can actually really, really difficult, let alone the, the financial side of it. And again, we're looking at a, a cohort that often struggles with employment. So, you know, there's, a, there's a lot, really a lot of things to consider. I guess my last point on it is we, we also need to consider like how does, I guess, the mental health system in its attempt to be supportive uh, disrupt, I guess, those other elements of the young person's life. So particularly for young people who are in schooling, it, we don't really have after-hours care for mental health really in our region. Um, I'm not too sure how it is interstate, but it's it's very common if, you, if you've got a lot of appointments that you'll be missing a lot of school in order to attend them. And sometimes that's just necessary, but it's just an example of how we need to balance, you know, all of the ways in which a young person is growing into themselves and all of the other support systems that they have and how the mental health system can work connectedly uh, and collaboratively with those other support systems. You've raised a couple of really huge points. I mean, the whole GP thing, I didn't, I, when I was a kid, I had, and, and, you know, under mum and dad's care, we had our family GP that, or the GP office and, and had sort of our primary GP and our backup GP that, you know, we, we tried to get an appointment if we needed with either of them. And there was that sort of concept kind of like a dentist you sort of go back to the same dentist each year that that sort of thing and you build that slowly but sure relationship but when I left home I think it's only been uh, I think I've been living in Sydney for about nine years I think and it's only been in the last 18 months that I found a regular GP which as someone who has advocated for a regular GP has you know sat on boards and things like that it, it's it seems kind of counterintuitive but it, it like you said it is so hard there are so many nuances for a young person with finding a gp or even returning to a gp i found a practice that i could go but i didn't have a regular gp yeah and i guess look you know i can imagine the the challenge to at times is not only finding someone a that people can access in terms of transport and stuff but also you know the whole bulk billing or reduced levels of bulk billing everywhere but also i guess you know as with anyone it's, it's someone that a young person might connect with like how you know engage with like you've got to sometimes you know it might take a while to actually find someone that you engage with and feel comfortable and safe with you know that that can be a bit of a journey too whether it's a gp or a psychologist or whoever you know teachers <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> Not, gonna fit like a glove you know, right 
<laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's, this is a, it's about a partnership, isn't it? Your health health journey, sort of partnership, and you know what might that look like? And I guess you know the importance of you know not only being aware of people's um, mental health but physical health as well. You know that there's certainly you know a real focus on that now to make sure that we focus on people's physical health as part of their whole health picture, if you like. And I've got to say, and I hope. This is all right with Jordan, but at the workshop, we in the first, you know, part, because I actually facilitated the workshop and Jordan shared some of her stories, mostly of which Jordan has shared this morning. And Jordan, I just want you to know that that really impacted me. And I've worked alongside Jordan, you know, for about 12, 18 months or, or something. And to hear, Lucky. to hear, yeah. And, and to hear your story, Jordan, of, you know, particularly that transition between, you know, pediatric services then into the mental health system and how your experience in the pediatric system was actually quite positive. But then when you transferred into the mental health system, it wasn't positive. And it's kind of shocking to hear that you know, as someone who's in the system and recognising, you know, we've still got a long way to go, you know, and 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 so, Jordan, I just want to really honour you, and I did on the day too, for your your passion to advocate and, and your advocacy because it's hard work and it's in it for the long haul because we know systems don't change quickly. But again, we're on that journey of, of reform and ongoing transformation, but I I appreciate it's not quick enough for people who are experiencing. There's there's no timeline for change, Wendy. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's the, true, isn't it? Yeah, no. The the um the story that Wendy was uh, referring to there. I had a lot of physical health issues when I was a young child, and I kind of like the reason I, I got into advocacy was because the um, treatment I received when uh, seeking help for a physical health condition as a child was amazing and then going through the mental health system as a child completely different response and approach and so i kind of spent the last few years trying to figure out why that was and in the process of doing that i found all these other interesting systemic issues that uh, and a lot of amazing system partners who are seeing the same things as me so uh, i think honestly the best one of my favorite bits about this project for our region is that PHNs historically uh, struggle a bit with engaging youth uh, lived experience consumers. You know, we're just, we're not very visible to them. They're not visible to us, vice versa. It's hard It's hard to get everyone in a room. But uh, with being able to engage uh, other lived experience representatives in our region, we've really got a fantastic opening point to be able to strengthen those relationships, look into youth guidance and advisory groups into the future this project and beyond uh, and really start living, you know, the fact that, that youth mental health is a priority in this region and that our system partners take it really very seriously and, and, and really working together with young people with lived experience to achieve that. Absolutely. And I think one of the, you know, one of the, well, I don't think I know one of the, and believe that one of the core parts is the future projection, you know, this digital support tool for, no, decision support tool, sorry. <laughs> so many D's out there, um, uh, is about, you know, looking 10 years ahead. What can we on the platform turn on, quote unquote, like what services can we implement to change the lives of young people and the, the way in which their experience within the system, like you say, Jordan and, and Wendy sort of picked up or, uh, noted is it can be positive. I think that's something that we, we do, often overlook is there there are positives about the system that actually do work for certain cohorts or certain community groups or certain stages in life but there equally there are portions that don't work and and our sort of co-director here Ian Hickey is really adamant about not just celebrating the wings wins but celebrating the not f- well, I call them failures because I think failure is a positive thing, but the challenges, the, the barriers that we've, we've faced. And there's a great quote by a Japanese designer uh, who says, fail, fail again, fail better. And it's all about like when we succeed, we don't really look back and think, what are we doing to, to actually make that work? Why did we succeed? But when we fail, you look tooth and comb like, what did we do? Where were our mistakes? Or what 
actually worked and why didn't it work going forward? One of the things, uh, jumping ahead to the workshop, which both of you have really spoken positively about, which is really wonderful and, and great to hear. Wendy, you noted the the complexity and the absolute hot mess, dog's breakfast, uh, shitstorm, whatever term you want to use for literally this, this yeah, just... Uh, it, it's it's not for the faint-hearted, I guess. Um, every time I say it, I'm like, I do not know how these modelers make any sense of this and and sort of yeah, stream it. That was a huge revelation to to service providers, and and maybe it wasn't a huge revelation to lived experience individuals and people who have accessed it because it is so complex in its siloed, whether it be the connection, the relationships. Simply like uh, you look at a hospital and they have facts and digital and one department doesn't talk to the next department despite all being under the one roof and maybe the other end of the building or the next room over. Like you've got to be the advocate for yourself and your health and, and Jordan, you've spoken to this and I know it personally. Burnout is huge and when you're not in a great space, which is when you're really with you're accessing health services, how like you've got to add on this extra layer of like thinking ahead or being like, oh, where's that referral? I've got to get that referral. I've got to bring those x-rays or those whatever's with me. What were, Wendy, what were some of the things that you found or know that some of your colleagues found to be re- uh, revelationary or a real learning moment during the workshop? I think just seeing it visually on, you know, on paper with multiple post-it notes, bits of string going here, there and everywhere to look at what was connected like a serial with what. killers. And, you know, just, pinboard. Yeah. And I think just to be confronted if, in a sense, with that complexity visually, I think was really powerful. And in fact, I wish I could remember the, co- uh, the quote. So one of our staff from our child and youth mental health service in the other group, when they did it, they said, there's also a group missing here. It's like they said they're under the table and it was how do we know for the people who aren't currently accessing the system, you know, where where are they fitting? You know, where they're not even on the page, on the paper, as it were. And so there are some real insights, um, I think, from people Again, having that broad, diverse range of people there, I guess if you like across the sectors, that sort of thing. And again, I go back to, um, you know, the number, and I can't remember, Jordan, how many um, pe- young people with lived experience we had. I think it was, was at least seven or I can't remember how many. But Yeah, it was around seven. So we ended That's up a great being, turnout, actually. It was about 10% of, of the room, which was pretty good because the group that we had was fairly diverse in terms of their age and experience as well. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm always in favour of more. I say 50% lived experience. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, I very much am the same. <laughs> but at the same time, seven is a really hard number to reach, particularly in young people. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, you know, they were all, and this is certainly not intended to sound patronising, I hope it's not, but, you know, highly passionate, highly articulate, um, you know, and, and challenging in a, in a health, you know, in a, in a way that was engaging and, and so much, so added value. And, and that's said in an honouring way, you know, like in a, in a genuine honouring way, um, yeah, and and look, it's interesting that uh, one of the things that um, again, as the facilitator, and I was sort of you know having my mind on the agenda and making sure we're on time, and, you know, all this sort of stuff, and so I probably missed some of the some of the content. But one of the things that was telling in the afternoon, again, we're in midstream doing a workshop component, you know, lots of discussion, and we had a blooming fire thing. We had to evacuate. But, and, you know, and it was a hot day and we had to stand out in the sun. It, it wasn't for a long time, but, you know, climbing down multiple sets of stairs. But you know what? To the absolute credit of everybody there, when we eventually got back in the room, people went straight back into it. Like, to me, it's a long, you know, it's a long day and it takes a lot of energy, but people came back and came back into engaging. And I think that really impressed me as to... The commitment and the passion of the people across our region to make things better for young people. Yeah, the real investment, absolutely. Yeah. What were some of the, the findings that or revelations that young people 
um, and yourself found from the workshop? I think everyone found it to be a really satisfying process. One of the things I noticed was that uh, everyone gave a lot of space for the lived experience representatives to speak, which was fantastic because they did have some amazing things to add. And, you know, I did get to speak with them afterwards about how they, they felt it went. And they said it was, and this is why a lot of people do, you know, advocacy work. It, it feels so good to be in a space where you're allowed to speak about all the things that you've been through and be really heard. I know that something's actually going to happen because of that. You know, a lot of people uh, accessing the system can get really kind of defeated, I guess, trying to, you know, punch through the same doors and not really getting anywhere. So having these kinds of spaces, you know, it's 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 practically useful in that we're going to develop a really fantastic tool and it's going to improve the system as a whole. But it's it's um, like there's a restorative uh, part of these processes as well that we don't talk about enough. Like there's a personal impact. And it gives people space to, to meaningfully use their experiences. And I think that's a big part of recovery, you know, is, is being able to transform something negative into, into something that you can really, um, affect great change with. So uh, yeah, I really, I really loved that. And, uh, I really loved, you know, cause I've been doing advocacy in this region for about five years now and I've worked with a lot of, these people on different projects over the years and I had never seen all of them in the same room together. <laughs> and so that was an amazing moment, you know, cause I know how hard it is and how busy everyone is and to get that many people and, you know, even more people who are interested in coming, but couldn't make it, you know, massive, massive support and turnout from our region around this issue. So that was personally incredibly satisfying. It's like I'd had a really big goal just ticked off that day. And dare I say presumptuous for those those services that you you said you have supported and helped and, and worked with over the years but never seen them all in the one room, to actually see you and, and fellow young people interacting with them and showing we've got a past history on this project with them, past history on project with them and them sort of perhaps even, and, and maybe I am assuming, but clocking that and being like, oh, so it's not just us they've worked with. It's like they've worked on these, these young people have been working on these projects and, and they're, they're the ones that are con- the continuum. They're the ones that are across the board and perhaps we should take a leaf out of their book and, and be a bit more, you know, broader scoping or, or interrelationary, if that's even a word, uh, with, with our services and, and what we provide. I wanted to just wrap up with a, uh, from both yourself, Jordan, and, and yourself, Wendy, what are you looking forward to or what are your hopes with this project going forward now that you've sort of seen, you know, the, the wonderful part of the first workshop and, and sort of the information that you sort of made you sign up for and you've seen the passion and the fervent nature of, of other services who are involved, what, what are your hopes for, for the, I think, the following 18 months and then, again, like the next 10 years with this, this support tool? Yeah, we're um, the next little bit's going to be the tricky bit, I think, because we've got to keep momentum while also engaging with some of the more technical aspects of the project. And I think that's sometimes where um, it can get a little bit complicated to keep people engaged and, and, and continuously learning and, and committing to this. And then the next hurdle, of course, being actually implementing the tool and encouraging people to use it in a collaborative way and the way it's intended to be used. So I guess I am incredibly hopeful because we had such an amazing start. I think people are really passionate about this. I think they really want this. Everyone wants better data to make to make better decisions with. But now it's all about, okay, so we've got these relationships. How do we keep them going? How do we nurture them? And how do we continue to, to commit to this goal? Yeah, and, and I think for me as, you know, someone in, in, in the system and being part of the ongoing system reform, as is Jordan, is that this um, is certainly a great timing in that we're in the journey with the PHN to create a comprehensive joint regional plan, which is due for publishing by the end of March next year. And certainly system modelling, and this is obviously specific to, you know, young people, is is important 
adjunct to that or an important part of that. So to me, the timing of this is brilliant in that it'll help contribute to our joint regional planning. Of course, joint regional planning includes not only young people, but, you know, across the age spectrum and uh, across the geography of our, our region, which has, you know, distinct different parts to it. And so, you know, this is certainly a great, it's a great learning opportunity, but we'll end up with a, a great tool. And I think certainly as Jordan's referred to, you know, strengthen partnerships to work at this together for the future. So, yeah, look, I'm really exciting. And look, I'm learning about system modelling and having health economics, health economics. And <laughs> so really... Really appreciate the expertise from the Brain and Mind Centre team and their way of working with with us. I've really appreciated their their approach. Um, yeah, so looking forward to what it will yield for our region. That's so wonderful. Thank you both, Wendy and Jordan. This has been such a positive, but also such an eye opening conversation on you know how even down to the I know we didn't get into it but the subliminal core involvement of alcohol and substance use and misuse being a a big portion obviously for Brisbane South and and I'll note that in in the show notes but even just seeing that and and recognizing that that's a large part for young people as well and and you know as a hindrance for service access so I want to thank both of you for taking the time to join me today and and also taking the time to be a part of and showing this commitment to this project and and the commitment to young people and changing their lives truly. And and like you said, Jordan, I, I wrote this quote down, how the mental health system, even in attempts to support, to be supportive, sorry, disrupts a young person's life. So how can we reverse that and flip that? So thank you both. Mm, thank you. Thanks so much.